so um, I want to go on uh, uh, with what we were sharing this morning um, in Romans chapter 6. Sing a song of liberty. And the glorious thing is that we can share over the word of God that which is truth and that which is real and that which has happened in our lives and in our hearts. Um, if you had problem this morning taking notes, um, I'm sorry about it. Someone mentioned to me they found it difficult to follow my one, two, and threes. Well, maybe I didn't tell you one, I don't know. But we're going on now in Romans chapter 6, verse uh, 18. Well, we'll take verse 17. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin. You became the servants of righteousness. Amen. Now, when did you become the servants of righteousness? Hmm? At the new birth. That is, when you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, then you became free from sin. It's at that point that a man is delivered. Sanctification is not a second experience. Now note that sanctification and the breaking of the power of sin is a new birth experience. Must be. Uh, otherwise Paul's wrong. And Paul's not wrong. So we need to understand that. Um, that we are set apart right from the day of our birth. And I want to go on and talk about um, this verse, being then made free from sin, you became the servants, or the slaves, it really is, of righteousness. And there are very few people that are slaves of righteousness. Um, there's a lot of people who are slaves of sin. And one of the signs of a new birth, or that someone is a Christian, is that sin is dealt with and they quit sin. Now, what I mean by sin is not just the nasty outward things, but I'm talking also about the inward things. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It's not what you do on the outside, it's what you think inwardly. That's what sin is. And um, one has to be careful not to uh, ascribe sin only to outward actions. And you'll find that there's a parallel um, scripture in verse 11 of this chapter. It says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And once again, uh, it's dead to sin. Um, in this verse, it's made free from sin. And of course, when you're dead, you're free. And we discussed that, and um, we saw that reckoning meant what? Who remembers? To conclude. That's right. You can, it's a conclusion you come to from the argument before. And in verse 18, it's exactly the same because um, you've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. Well, then, being made free from sin, you become the servant. It's a conclusion to the statements that have gone before in verse 16 and 17. We need to understand that and not separate it. And it's a statement as a conclusion which is explained in verse 19. The meaning of it is explained in verse 19, but it is a conclusion of verse 16 and 17. All right? Now, you must understand that, otherwise you'll misunderstand what it's saying. Now, I want to talk about this verse 18. Uh, being then made free from sin. Now, I'd like to start with what it isn't. It's easier to start with what it isn't. And you'll have to understand that there are great errors that come in when the holiness people get hold of this scripture. Or, for instance, the North Circular. And I'm not talking about the road 
um, some of his followers would get hold of this scripture and they would make it into something else or the church of the Nazarene or um, the people who are the church of the blessed sinless ones um, uh, you know all those type churches all the ones in America they call themselves you know the, the crystal cathedral you know <laughs> the only thing I knew about crystal is I used to have a set uh, with a cat's whisker but anyway these people uh, believe in lots of errors and the first one is what that it doesn't mean it does not mean that you're sinlessly perfect being made free from sin does not mean that you are totally and utterly and completely delivered body soul and spirit from sin that is not true your spirit is delivered from the reign the rule and the dominion your soul is delivered and your mortal body is delivered uh, from the reign of it because the, it used to reign there but what happens is sin's still there and you're not delivered from the dominion of sin you still live in the dominion in the flesh in your spirit in your soul you're seated in heavenly places in Christ whereas in the flesh you're still down here aren't you and so you see your freedom is a limited freedom in one sense the truth is that ultimately you are free and presently you're free but you mustn't take the freedom to be absolute freedom for if it were absolute freedom why then you'd be totally perfect and I think a look in the mirror will show you one or two little blemishes oh, just listening to people sing <coughs> secondly <laughs> it's not meaning that we're free from the flesh or the sinful nature of the flesh now the natural thing in the flesh if we walk after the flesh we won't walk after the spirit will we um, and we know what the sins of the flesh are fornication adultery all those things witchcraft variance emulations they're things of the flesh and a person who's born again is not totally delivered in the sense that in his flesh he no longer feels any motions of sin and Paul talks in Romans chapter 7 the motions of sin which work in our flesh now there are uh, motions of sin that work in you for instance uh, you might be one of those people that sees a chocolate eclair when you're 16 stone now the motions of sin is your taste buds begin to <laughs> and you think ah I just fancy that now uh, if you're overweight and it's doing you damage now that's sinful but the motion in your flesh begins you know we have a dog Cindy and she will sit there and if my wife's eating an apple you can just watch her she'll begin to dribble now it's the only dog I know that likes to eat apple cores but Cindy likes apple cores for some reason and some people are like that with sin uh, they begin to drool I mean not literally you know not like Cindy you see big drips dropping down but some people drool as soon as they see temptation you know it's kind of physically uh, 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 and in their flesh sin works and there's nothing they can do to stop it uh, now that is when you're under the rule but when you're a Christian and the rule and power has been broken it doesn't mean that the motions of sin have been broken in other words your natural physical reactions aren't removed unfortunately now we all would like to believe they were I once met a man who told me that um, he was delivered totally from sexual desire well I could believe him he was 67 but I, <laughs> I haven't got to that age, you know. And if I do get there, I hope I'm not, if my wife's still around, you know. And she hasn't gone to glory before me, which is very unfair. Um, I, 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 I expect that I'll still... Now, you see, um, he was talking in a way as though to say to people, well all you need to do you see is just believe God and he'll take those desires away 
but the natural desires from which sin can spring if one is not careful are not taken away and those desires um, will spring up now you've got to mortify them put them to death in other words you mustn't let them go any longer you know you see the chocolate eclair you begin to draw you swallow hard and turn away and forget it <laughs> and, and, and that's it you know now that is mortifying isn't it <laughs> terrible that is really putting it to death when you walk away and I don't mean with it in your hand <laughs> uh, like Shane but um, you have to realize that there's, there are the motions of sin in the flesh and um, don't think that because you're, you're delivered that you're delivered from the, those propensities your flesh is still your flesh alright and sin you know is in your mortal body what you mustn't let it do is reign and rule you've got to bring it under subjection to you no longer must it dominate your life and rule it but don't expect it to evaporate and not be there because if it does you'll have evaporated as well you won't be here and um, while you're here that'll be there now you can resist temptation resist the devil and he'll flee from you you can mortify the deeds of the flesh you needn't mustn't let sin reign over your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof but what I'm saying is don't expect that all the desires vanish they don't and you know as I say the devil always comes along the line of natural desire and God's put in you natural desires and those desires of themselves aren't sinful it's just the way you fulfill them that's sinful and when we come to Christ we get a new way of living hmm? alright you follow that so we go on thirdly uh, we mustn't ever claim uh, and you must beware of this when people say they're free from sin they think that there's no temptation that'll befall them again now temptation is something that will befall you now there's the motions of sin which are in your flesh but then there's temptation now temptation's something more of the mind isn't it the devil will whisper some suggestion into your mind the flesh things are usually by your senses you know your touch your sight your smell your hearing those type of uh, flesh things um, but then you've got the other where the enemy will speak into your mind temptation and he'll suggest things sometimes that are quite absurd and you'll wonder how you could think of it have you ever thought that suddenly a thought just crashes into your mind and you think um, the enemy will suggest things like well you know really you know you're crazy believing the Bible look what it's done for you and it'll suddenly just crash in on your thoughts or some way off thought the enemy will put in there or you'll hear that some disasters happen or something's gone wrong and immediately the enemy will say see doesn't work you know and, and that temptation begins to bombard your mind now you will be tempted the devil will try and throw everything at you to make you believe that you're still his but resist the devil and he'll flee from you now you've been totally delivered there's no reason to be in bondage but you have to resist the devil and he'll flee from you the third error as I said is people that believe that once you're truly in this state which they would call entire sanctification which I would call conversion um, you basically don't have temptation don't ever believe that or if you ever find a way of getting into a state where you don't have temptation let me know I shall find it very interesting because uh, you'll be in deception because all men are tempted and not by God but Satan tempts them God tempteth no man with evil um, so we have to beware of that now I want to come that's the negative side of it and then I want to come on to the positive side um, free from sin what does it mean well basically being free from sin means I'm no longer a slave of sin and so 
the, ob the, the actual meaning of it means, in the second part of the verse, you become the servant of righteousness. Being free from sin means you're a slave of righteousness. Because they're the two opposites, aren't they? You either serve sin and the devil, or you serve God and righteousness. So automatically, if you're not in one, you're in the other. So to be free from sin automatically means you are a slave of righteousness. And that's it. You're a bond slave. You're enslaved to righteousness. There's no way around it. You have to be righteous. Now by righteous, that means you live according to God's law. You live according to God's way. And um, it's put, if you look in Romans chapter 6, let's start verse 2. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Verse 7. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Verse 11. Uh, likewise reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. And verse 17, but God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin. Now, all through uh, this um, particular chapter, Paul's trying to prove one thing. Do you all remember what he was trying to prove? Well, it's in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we sin? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. And this is once again the same argument Paul's coming to. What he's saying is being then made free from sin, you become the servants of righteousness. Now that's for every single Christian. Once you become a Christian, you become a slave of righteousness. A total slave of it. You cannot go back to your old life. There's no way back. And that's the wonder of it all. And God has begun a work in you and God won't let up till he's finished. It says, you remember we went to Philippians 1, where it says, he that's begun a good work will complete it. Verse 6. And there's no way that you are going to get away and be allowed to go back to your old life. God will totally transform you. And that's the wonderful thing. And um, it's really a real Christian, every real Christian has this experience. Now, the only other type of person there is, is the religious person, and he's defined in 2 Corinthians uh, 4. And in 2 Corinthians 4, Now, no man, uh, I want to point out just before I read it, no man can believe uh, the gospel and be a slave of sin. No man can believe the gospel and be a slave of sin. All right? I'll repeat that. No man can believe the true gospel that's the form of doctrine that's delivered to you and be a slave of sin. It is impossible. All right? Repeat what I said. No man can be a slave of sin and believe the gospel. And the uh, proof of that is in 2 Corinthians 4. And we went there this morning, you remember, and in verse 3, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid from them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Now there is no way that someone can have the glorious uh, gospel light shining into their heart 
if they're one of the lost. It never will. The God of this world has blinded their minds. Now, a person with a blinded mind is someone who thinks they think their own thoughts. There are a lot of people in this world who just think they are in control of themselves. They think that they know and they make their choices. They think that they're free people. Now that is total and utter deception. No one is free. If you go around and you ask anyone, you all, before you came to Christ, if so be you're in Christ, you were driven. When you tried to reform and better your life, when there were things, habits and things in your life that you didn't like and you wanted to get rid of, you couldn't. True? And, you know, ask anyone who smokes. And I've, I've spoken to a lot of people who smoke who say, oh, I can give it up any time. But if they're real smokers and they try to give it up, they find that there's a power in them that is addicting them to it. Now there are spirit forces that work. There are people who believe that they can slim any time to get thinner. But they're addicted. And unless Christ delivers them from that power, then you'll find they'll just eat themselves to death. And there are people that do that. Eat themselves till they die. Um, and yet it's only when you have to face up to it and you have to do something. Uh, <laughs> I was just looking at Steve. There's never any danger of him doing that. But um, there are other people who come to strange ways and, and they think they're free uh, until they have to really come up against law and they have to change their manner of life. I, it's amazing. I, I was thinking of a chap I, 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 I talked to. Uh, a chap, um, who was he? He worked for Kirby, um, Collins' firm. You know, he was one of the Kirby people. And he came to see me and he lived in a realm of delusion, self-delusion. And I could see that he would destroy his own life. And the more I talked with him, the more I could tell he was just a nutcase. He was as nutty as a fruitcake. And if you have nuts on top of your fruitcake. Um, he was just one of those people who wouldn't face reality. And there's a lot of us who pretend we're not slaves to things, and yet we are. You know, we'd like to pretend, well... I could give it up any time, Lord. All you need to do is just say the word, and you know, of course I'd give it up. And as long as God doesn't say the word, you feel you're in freedom. It's when God puts his finger on it that the problem starts, isn't it? Hmm? Now, man is like that, but what I'm saying is there are people who think that they're thinking their own thoughts, they think they're free, they will tell you, oh, everyone's got free will, I can do what I like. And yet they're absolutely the slaves of Satan, they're the slaves of the pit. Why, John Avery was telling me, rang me up, told me, talk to his mother-in-law and father-in-law. That's a dangerous thing to do, um, talk to your mother or father-in-law. And to his brother-in-law. Now, they're Jews. And... He said to the father-in-law, he said, well, what about Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah? And the answer was, oh, well, they're just, they were just good talkers. Uh, you know, the God of this world has blinded their eyes. And there are a lot of people who can't believe, you can't believe what I say. You can't make a choice of whether you're going to choose to believe God or not. You have no choice. If God doesn't lighten you and quicken you, you'll go to hell. It's not your choice. You're on your way to hell. You say, well, I don't want to believe in hell. Well, some people don't want to believe in Russia. It doesn't mean it's not there. I've never seen Russia, have you? I've seen China, but not Russia. Um, I've never um, 
seen Russia, but it would be foolish for me. I mean, there were people, there are still people today. There's the Flat Earth Society. Uh, I mean, there are people today who belong to the Flat Earth Society. You've only got to go up in a 747 uh, and have a look through the cockpit, and you can see the world's round at, at 40,000, 50,000 feet. You can see the horizon. You know there's no Flat Earth. It's obvious the sea had toppled off and empty. I mean, you know, that's how I know. Um, but there are people that believe that the Earth's flat, and you cannot convince them different. You can send up spaceships, and in China, they will tell you, we've been to China, and they think that the Americans never sent a man to the moon. It was all trick photography done in a studio. And they'd believe it was all a big gimmick. The average man in the street in China, or woman in the street, does not believe that the Americans have the technology to send a man to the moon. They don't believe that everyone, nearly every family, has a motor car. The reason is they only have bicycles. That's the best they can hope for. And it was funny looking into a shop, you know, and seeing that the new model T Ford bicycle that had come out. And, and all these kind of Chinese, you know, little men all looking with their slit eyes at this bicycle. Um, and it was kind of the big desire. It was about five months' wages to, to buy a bicycle or to get a wristwatch. You know, that's socialism, that is. Socialism, you know. Wonderful thing, socialism. Makes everyone poor. And you can all feel sorry for each other. But there they were all looking at the bicycle. And um, I thought at the time, how crazy. And they'd come up to us, and they believed, because I was a Westerner, that it was all a gimmick and propaganda. At the border, the, uh, the capitalists would lend me cameras and clothes. So when I went into China, I looked wealthy. But I didn't really wear them when I got home. And they really believed that. And it was only, you know, as more and more Westerners went in, that they realized that maybe they were a bit different and they had fallen behind. But the average man on the commune, it was laughable. Do you know one man got up and he told us that they were one of the most progressive towns in China. He said, do you realize this town has got 40,000 people in it? <laughs> you know, 40,000 population. And he said, and over half of them have a bicycle. We nearly rolled off our seats laughing. The poor guy. And he said, and nearly everyone's got a wristwatch. Now, for that poor pathetic creature, he really thought that they were living in, in luxury. Mind you, it was, we went to one of their houses. And if you saw the fridge, the fridge was a piece of string that they hung the meat on in the open air. And you walk round to, to where, you know, they showed us their modern toilet. And their modern toilet was a wooden bucket. Uh, and it was just a wooden bucket in an alcove. And what worried me about if I'd had to use it, which fortunately I didn't, um, because I didn't eat when we went out around those places. They, they offered us great meals, but I don't fancy Alsatian. Um, and... <laughs> I'm sure it, it couldn't have been real, any other meat. Um, but what worried me about it was when you walked there, there was a curtain that only came down to about there, you know, this rail. <laughs> so even when it closed, you could see the bucket. Somehow it just didn't seem... It'd hide your face. <laughs> but I, w I didn't, wouldn't have liked to use that bucket. And when I saw that they went and emptied it on the fields where they were growing their vegetables, which they never boiled, I, I, I didn't, you know, somehow feel it was quite that modern. But we went to one of the better places. And <laughs> he told us, you know, I mean, we, we'd counted as laughable. They said, we have seven tractors on this farm, and it was about, I don't know, about 80,000 acres or something, you know, seven tractors. So we walked in uh, to, the, it was an enormous farm, we walked into this shed, and <laughs> there were six of them there, <laughs> apart. Uh, they were trying to mend them.
with spares. <laughs> oh, it was pathetic. And yet, you see, they're really... Now, there are people whose minds are so blinded with Christian things that they can't believe the gospel. You could tell them the truth. You could prove to them God existed. You could show them miracles. You could point out this person's changed life, that person's changed life. You could tell them miracles of healing. They could see the dead raised up and they still couldn't believe. Jesus turned around and said, he said, yeah, he said, though someone come back from the dead, you won't believe to the Jews. There are people that cannot believe the God of this world blinded their minds and they can't believe. Now, if God has blinded a person's mind, don't try to unblind it. The God of this world, if the God of this world has blinded someone's mind, you can't unblind it. If God doesn't give light, and I'm talking about the true God now, doesn't give light to that person, then they're dead. Now don't think that you can take the Quakers saying that everyone's got light, because that's not true. Because God said, and Jesus Christ said, what if the light that's in you be darkness? And that's what happens when the God of this world blinds someone's mind. They really believe they have got light, and they haven't. And that is one of the most awful things. That is why you get people who are um, given over to high ideals and morals, which I want to come on to in a minute, totally blinded. How does it all work out? Well, it works out like this in this verse. We're partakers, aren't we, of the divine nature? All right? All of us are partakers. You all agree with that? When we're born again, we're partakers of the divine nature. And if you look into Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, And verse 12 and 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, because it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The truth is that you cannot obey unless God works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure and it's the Holy Spirit he works within a person to will and to do of God's good pleasure and there's no way I can do what God wants unless God works within me I can't set myself and say I'll keep God's commandments because I move out of faith I have to realize that God has got to work in me by his spirit unless he keeps me I'm lost in other words, my whole dependence is on God. I know that he's going to perfect me. I know he's going to make me perfect in that day. I know that he's working out things. But I have to work it out in my life and live it, knowing that it's God who's working in me to do it. You say, well, surely if you're working it out, then it's you working it out. No, it's not. It's God working it in. And because he's worked it in, I work it out. But if he hadn't worked it in, I couldn't work it out. You follow what I'm saying? It's all of God, nothing of man. And we have to understand that. We're totally delivered. Everything's of God. And um, in Galatians chapter 5, It's all of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, we discover this. If you look in Galatians 5, verse 17, it says this, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit. Now that you would expect, wouldn't you? The flesh is against the Spirit, lusteth against the Spirit. But here's something that's surprising. And the Spirit lusteth against the flesh. Now, I would have expected the flesh to lust against the Spirit, but I was surprised to find that the Spirit of God 
lusteth against the flesh. Aren't you? Now, how many times have you read it and always taken the first part and not thought, hey, just a minute, the Spirit of God lusts against the flesh. What does that mean? Have you ever wondered what it meant? Have you ever noticed it was there? No? But it is, isn't it? You see, God's Spirit's lusting against the flesh. And what does it mean? Well, actually, it's explained in a parallel verse. Um, if you turn with me to James chapter 5, James chapter 5 and where is it? Oh, chapter 4. Let's take chapter 4. And um, do you think in verse 5, do you think that the scripture saith in vain the spirit, that's the spirit of God, it's put, written in a, with a small s there, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. Do you think it says that in vain? Well, actually, what it actually says in the Greek is that the spirit that he made to dwell in us yearneth for us even unto jealous envy. That's actually what it says in the Greek. But, I mean, it doesn't quite say that in the authorized version. But we'll begin to make uh, the meaning more clear. The spirit that he made to dwell in us yearneth for us even unto jealous envy. In other words, God is jealous for you, and God lusts, and God desires you, and he desires you above your flesh, and he's against your flesh because he's jealous of you. He doesn't want you given over to another. He wants you for himself. He's bought you with a price, and he's jealous and envious. And he will not allow you to be married to another or to be captured by another or to be taken by another or to give yourself over to another. That's what it means by lusteth, the spirit lusteth. He won't allow it. And in James it makes it more clear. He says that he um, yearneth for us even unto jealous envy. God wants us to love him. God loves us and he desires us to worship him and to obey him and to be his slaves and believe it or not, he's not going to let us have another master. He's going to fight to keep us away from everyone else. And we need to understand that he won't share you. And the principle of righteousness is in us, all of us. And we must obey the gospel because of one simple thing. We're united to Jesus Christ and therefore we can't help but do it. You remember we're going back to Romans chapter 5. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. We're in Christ, therefore we cannot help but obey the gospel. And God is absolutely jealous over you. He won't allow one little pet sin to remain in your life that's going to rob you of him or him of you. He is so, so jealous. Did you know God was jealous? He says, I'm a jealous God. He's not about to share you with anything or anyone. And you remember, sin's always personified. The moralists say quite a few things. The first thing they would say is you can have Christian qualities without being Christian in doctrine. 
That's what a moralist would say. He'd say, oh, you can have the Christian ethics and the ethos of being a Christian without Christian doctrine. You don't need to know all about the doctrine of Christianity. You can adopt the good things. They also say morality means your responsibility for yourself. You've got to take your responsibility for yourself. That is the humanist idea of morality. And the third thing, redemption to a moralist is a negation of all moral effort and striving. And therefore it's totally repugnant to someone who's a moralist or someone who's a religious person and not a true Christian. You will find once you get onto redemption and you say there's nothing you can do, you can't do anything, that is repugnant to them. Once you tell them that it's Christ who did everything for you and you have to just receive and accept the fact that Christ died for you, you've got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's repugnant to them. To a moralist, that is awful. To someone who the God of this world has blinded their minds, they cannot understand what you're talking about. For someone who's not a Christian, I might as well be talking in a foreign language. If the God of this world has blinded their minds, they've not an idea what I'm talking about. They could sit here for ten years, but I'm still not understand. They might think they grasp it, but they can't. God of this world blinds their eyes. And it's totally hopeless to try and help them. Um, what we have to understand is that they would define uh, godliness as kindliness, Avoiding moral evil and living a good, clean life. That's what a Christian very often will define Christianity as, won't they? The Christian spirit. Hmm? Kindliness, avoiding moral evil, and leaving, li living a good, clean life. Do you know what they leave out? Anyone know what they leave out? Hmm? No, oh, I'll tell you what they leave out. Just turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. I'm coming back to explain how this all fits into Romans chapter 6 in a minute. I haven't forgotten where I am. It was, uh, I think, what's that guy doing? He must be. Okay. Now, a moralist leaves this out. Blessed, verse 3, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. A moralist has no time for that. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Talk about kindliness. They'll talk about avoiding the extremities of moral disorder. Have you ever heard them talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 13? You know, love being the thing. And saying that if you give your body to be burned, you give all your goods to feed the poor and have not agape love, uh, the love of God, then it's valued at nothing. Do you remember? Now that is what a moralist leaves out. And the reason I'm bringing this all in is because in Romans chapter 6 it says we become a slave of righteousness. Now what we don't become of as a slave of righteousness as man would value righteousness we become a slave of God's righteousness we become a slave of God's holiness not man's now don't ever equate righteousness with man's idea of what's right that is not what I'm talking about a lot of people live according to their own law and light rather than God's light the God of this world blinded their eyes they've just got their own ideas what I'm talking about by righteousness is God's righteousness. I need to see that. And I need to know, too, that what I do is not so important as what my motive for doing it is. What you do is not so important as your motive for doing it. A lot of people can adopt Christian ideals outwardly, but inwardly they hate it. They'd love to break out and do their own thing, but they can't because their kind of their peers would frown on them. 
So they live a lie outwardly. Do you know what I mean? Inwardly, they're rebelling. They hate it. Outwardly, they've got this nice, polished little veneer. That is fraud. And that is not righteousness. Righteousness deals with my motives and my desires. To be righteous, it says in 1 Peter, be you holy for I'm holy. To be righteous means that I've got to have a right attitude and relationship to God. And I must have his righteousness, not mine. He's my righteousness, wisdom, sanctification, and redemption. Christ is. He's got to be those things to me, and I've got to have his life, his righteousness, his way. In Romans 6, we get the words in chapter uh, 6, verse 18, being then made free from sin, you became, not you will become, but you became the slaves of righteousness. And by that, we're talking not about worlds, the moralist righteousness, we're talking about the righteousness of God. We're talking about what God's law is, not what man's law is. Basically, anyone who has man's law is a Pharisee. They go about, it says in Romans 10, to establish their own righteousness. And there are a lot of people that go about to establish that. That's no good. What I've got to have is God's righteousness in me by his spirit. God working in me to will and to do of his good pleasure. My desires being to go God's way. And until I've got that, I've no hope. Unless I'm born again, I can't be in this. Unless I've been delivered from the power of sin, this is totally foreign to me. Unless God has done a work by his spirit in me, there's no way I can reach this. It's utterly hopeless to try. You understand that? There's no way a man can become a Christian by trying. It's utterly hopeless. It's when you are made free from sin, you become the servants of righteousness automatically. It's an automatic thing. You're a slave once you've been truly born again. Now the real question that I would put to all of you, redemption's your only hope. Redemption in the blood of Jesus Christ. Have you really been born again? According to the terms and the facts that I've laid before you, are you truly born again? And that's where it's all about, isn't it? That's what people really need to know. You're a slave of righteousness if you've been born again. You're totally set free from the power of sin. Wesley puts it this way, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That's freedom. Total slavery to Jesus Christ. That's the only freedom you can ever know. You cannot know freedom to do your own thing. You can only know freedom for him to demand your life, your all. That's love so amazing, so divine. Wesley wrote, it demands my life, my soul, my all. It demands it. It's a love that's jealous, envious, lusteth. won't allow me to go another way. It demands it. Love so amazing, so divine. It demands everything of me. I've got to be a total slave to righteousness. Joy of the Lord's my strength. If I can't do it with joy and I can't enter into this and say, oh Lord, I'm so grateful that that's your attitude to me. You're so jealous over me, you're not going to share me with another. Your spirit is envious, it's not going to allow me to be contaminated. You are not going to allow me to live a double life. It's all or nothing. And Lord, you're going to do the work in me and cause me to will and to do of your good pleasure. If I step out the way, you're going to chasten me and I'm not going to like it. But every son is going to be scourged and purged and that's a glorious benefit, isn't it? There's no way back. Now,
That is what Paul's talking about. Being then made free from sin, you become and you became the slaves of righteousness. Was that true in your life? Or is it just theory? Has the God of this world blinded your mind? Or has God given you light? Was there a day I was talking with my wife, you know, about her salvation? There was a day when she was brought up as a social worker. I mean, God deliver us from social workers. But um, she was brought up as a social worker. And uh, she felt she had always been a good person. And one day she went to a meeting and to her horror, she saw how filthy and wretched and degraded and twisted and perverted she really was. And in the middle of the meeting, while someone was preaching, she cried, oh, God, save me. Right in the middle of it, she shouted it out. Now, that was, she was an Anglican. That was a bit foreign for her to do. But it so filled her with horror. Now, when did the day come that you were so filled with horror, you thought, oh, God, save me. That's when the God of this world loses control, when his arm is stripped away. When a stronger than he comes, when light comes to your soul, you suddenly see your need and you cry out, Lord, save me. Now that must have happened to everyone. Everyone must come to the place where they cry out to God for salvation. When they see their total depravity. And if you haven't seen that, and you haven't seen your twisted, distorted self, you haven't got any light at all. If you haven't seen the evil intensity that can develop in your soul, well, you've never really been saved. Because as I said this morning, the gospel is the wrath of God's against you. God's given you over to a reprobate mind. Do those things which are not convenient. Dishonoring yourselves among yourselves. Doing all manner of evil. Hmm? That's the first part. Second part is you discover your utter hopelessness of you being able to do anything about it. And then you cry out when you see your wretchedness, Oh God, save me. And then you see the redemption of Christ and what he's done on the cross. And how he's paid the price for you and you can be forgiven your sin and he'll come and cleanse you and impart new life to you. You can be born again by his spirit from above and made a new person. You lay hold of that. The power of sin's broken in your life. You become totally free. You become an absolute slave to righteousness. And you find that you have to mortify the deeds of the flesh. You have to conclude yourself dead and you mustn't let sin reign in your mortal body. You fight temptation and you live a totally new life. That's what being born again is all about. Being then made free from sin. You become the slave of righteousness. Isn't it so simple? When someone tells you. <laughs> it's so obvious. You've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that which was delivered you or which you were delivered unto. Hmm? And suddenly you find life. May God open all our eyes to see. That's what we need, isn't it? Hmm? And to walk in it in an increasing measure. To get hold of the fact I'm totally delivered from sin in my spirit and my soul. I've got to mortify my body and my flesh and bring that under buffet my body and bring it into subjection it's God who's working in me to will and to do of his good pleasure I've got to work out my own salvation because of that with fear and trembling for it's God who's working inside me to do it and he's not going to let me off God's spirit lusteth against my flesh and is at war with my flesh and is envious he doesn't want my flesh to have dominion he is determined to have dominion God's determined to have every part of me isn't that wonderful? You became the slave of righteousness. Amen?
being then made free from sin. That's what we became. That's what we are. We're slaves. We can't help ourselves. We can't help being righteous. And because of that, he goes on to verse 19. And he says something else, which I better mention. Otherwise, you'll go away in error. Just a minute, I'll read it out to you. Romans 6, verse 19. Does the same as he did with verse 11. Romans 6, 19. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. That means the weakness of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness into holiness. In other words, because this is true of you, now I want you to do that. Because this is the truth about you, you are righteous, you became righteous, now I want you to yield your members. Don't yield them to the devil. Yield them over to God. Exactly the same as in verse 12. Alright? The truth is, the reality is, you became righteous. Say, but, but, but there's all this and that struggle and it, that doesn't matter. The truth is, you became righteous in God. Amen? So yield your members as servants of righteousness. Give yourself over to um, righteousness unto holiness. For when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. But now you've been set free from sin that you might be the slave of righteousness. All right? Because this is true, do it. Because this is true, go and live it. Because this is true, be it. And it'll work. Let's pray. Father, we thank thee that thy word is sharper than a two-edged sword. Thy word can divide between soul and spirit. Thy word, O God, can divide to the very depths of man. Lord, if thou dost not give light, no light comes. Lord, if you don't speak within a heart, the words are vain. If you don't water as precious seed, O Lord, there's no growth. Lord, by your Spirit now, come. Put life in. Life, hearts, and souls, O God. Quicken the word to the heart and graft it in. Open up, O God, those who sit in darkness, whose minds have been blinded. Come and spoil the strong man's goods because a stronger has come. Take away his armor. Divide the spoil, O Lord. Glorify thy name. Lord, there's so many that need thee. There's so many in this world that have never heard. There's so many in this town that have never heard. There's so many that need thee, O Lord. Let thy word have free course. Let the glory of thy Son be seen. Lord, touch hearts and souls in deep ways. Move in life. O God, begin to stir. Let us hear the rustle in the mulberry tree. Let us hear the moving of thy spirit, O Lord. Let us hear thy spirit a-going upon the mountain. O Lord Jesus, Lord, have mercy. In your love and your grace, move upon the heart to the heart. In your mercy and your love and your grace, Bring real conviction, true repentance, and life evermore. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>